0: All right, well, I'm like super excited about this passage this morning, so much so that I'm just like, oh, God, help me to express all that's in my heart and all that's in your word here. So let's pray because I need his help. So, Father, I thank you so much for your love for us, that you would love us to the point of coming into this world, taking on flesh, becoming like us, and yet still fully God, fully human, fully God, and meeting us where we are that we might be cleansed and be born again into your kingdom, God. And we just celebrate that this morning, Father. We praise you for that, God. Help us to understand through your word this morning all the ramifications of what it means to be born again in you, God, in your son's name, amen. All right, well, welcome. How are we, how we all doing? I'm like super keyed up, man. <laughs> i Zzz, I'm buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. So, um, you know, I, I'm so excited because, you know, the, the core of Christianity is the gospel, right? And really, this chapter of John, chapter 3, is really the core of the gospel message. I mean, they're one of the most famous scriptures in all of scriptures in this chapter, and I know you've all heard it before, for God so loved the world that whomever should believe in him, yeah, we've heard that, right? That's like one of the most famous verses. Even non-believers can quote that verse. Excited about that. So we're really going to kind of focus on two things. One is being born again in Christ, number one. Number two, what, are, what does that mean in terms of walking that out the rest of our lives? You know, what does it mean to work out your faith with fear and trembling? You know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. What does that mean to walk in the light of God's kingdom? So the big idea... And, you know, I've, I learned this way back when from a really excellent professor who said, in any given class, people retain maybe 3% of what's taught, okay? So I'm going to tell you right now what the 3% is. So that's the part you want to keep, all right? So if you don't remember anything else, remember this key sort of uh, big idea statement, and that is Jesus came to give us spiritual birth so that we will walk in the light of his kingdom, Right? Jesus came that we might be born again, and once we're born again, our purpose is to walk in the light of his kingdom, and that means here, now, and forever in his eternal kingdom, right? So that's the big idea. Jesus came that we might be born again, that we would walk in the light of his kingdom for eternity, right? Big idea. Everybody got it? That's the three percent. You can all go home now. We're done. (laughs) But what does that really mean? We're going to dig into it. So uh, John chapter 3, and before we dig in the particular verse, a couple things I want to share. You know, the born-again experience, it's funny, the guys were just talking this morning, we were talking about football, of course, what else would we be talking about? It's fall, what, what, we'd be talking about football. So we're talking about football, and we're talking about, you know, how now they can like record every single moment of the game from every single angle, and it's almost gotten like too much. Like, okay, did he have possession before he went out of bounds, or was he still kind of didn't have, quite have control over? At what point did he actually specifically transition from possession to not having possession of possession, yada, yada. And, you know, and I, and I just, because I've been focused on this, I just made the offhand comments like, yeah, it's kind of like being born again. You never quite know exactly when that exact moment was that you were born again, right? Was it, was it just this second or three seconds later? I'm not sure. But what I do know about being born again is it's very much an experience like it's, the, I think the best term I can come up with is it's an epiphany. It's the sudden conviction, realization of the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that for, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are suddenly and dramatically sometimes, some of us very dramatically, some of us kind of over a season of time, you know, we all have a sort of a different experience with that. But the core of it, at the core of it is this epiphany. It's that you know what Jesus is the creator of the universe God come in the flesh personally looking at me and saying I love you and I came into this world for you and I'm reaching my hand out to you and the Holy Spirit gives you this conviction that is is absolutely true that claim is I believe that more than I believe that I'm breathing right now to me that's that's what's involved in this experience of being born again right the the way I experienced that, back in 1973, early '70s, sometime, I was in junior high, and my sister, who had already been born again, who was a believer, he said, "Hey, John, you want to watch a show with me?" I'm like, "Sure, I'll watch a show with you." Right? She's totally setting me up. Right? Her and the Holy Spirit were conspiring. <laughs> said, well, no, "Let's watch the show." Well, it turns out the show is Billy a Billy Graham Crusade. Right? So I'm sitting there watching Billy Graham. But, and I've grown up in the church. I've been to Sunday school from, before I can remember, my mom's choir director. It was our family duty and responsibility to be in church service every single morning, right? So I grew up in church, but what's interesting about that is I never understood the gospel. I never had that epiphany. I never had that moment of conviction, right? So now I'm watching um, this crusade, Billy Graham, and I'm just listening to him talking I'm going that's interesting, nothing's really impacting me, I don't remember really being impacted by anything he's saying, until the very, very end, and he makes this invitation, and he says, you know, you can be born again, all you have to do is confess your sins, receive Jesus in your heart, and I'm like, yeah, makes sense, okay, okay, Lord, I believe, and up to that moment, it was just like kind of an average day, nothing really changing, but the moment I did that, and I started to pray, actually prayed with Billy Graham, it was like, the Holy Spirit jumped inside of me and was, like, taking a big sponge and washing, washing me from the inside out. It's just this a powerful experience. That's my experience. Everybody has a different experience. Some people don't have this, like, really emotional, dramatic experience. But just kind of over time, they come to that conviction, and they say, yeah, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. And, that, and in that moment, somewhere in that moment, they're born again. I love the testimony of C.S. Lewis, one of the best greatest apologist of the 20th century the way he describes his born-again experience was he was you know he'd been contemplating christianity a lot he's a professor at cambridge and um contemplating christianity a lot hanging out with jared tolkien in a pub called the eagle and child donna and i were two there two weeks ago hanging out in the pub there's a little plaque on the wall you know the, the inklings sat here and talked about you know theology and literature it's awesome but uh so so he's been hearing about this right And thinking about it, and the Holy Spirit's starting to give him this unction of like, yeah, maybe this is true. J.R.R. Tolkien is saying things like, you know, Lewis, yeah, there's all these myths in the Mediterranean, but Christianity is the one myth that actually is true, right? So he's getting these messages. So the way C.S. Lewis describes it, he says, at one point, I got into this little motorcycle sidecar that my brother had. My brother was driving, and I got in the little sidecar, you know, those things they had kind of around World War II, and he said, when I got in that sidecar, I was not a Christian. All I can tell you is when I got out of that sidecar, I was a Christian. Somewhere between getting in the sidecar and stepping out of it, he'd had, he was born again. He was a Christian, and he just knew it, you know. He just knew it. It's like all these things that God had been kind of showing him and revealed to him, they all came together through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he had that epiphany. He had that moment of faith. Right, And he became a, a believer in that moment. So um, those are those stories. I, one more story before we dive in, and that's the story of Peter. And I think Peter's such a great example because you know, he just shows up in so many different ways that we all can relate to. But Peter is a fisherman. He's in business with a bunch of his buddies. They're out fishing one night because nighttime is the best time to be fishing when you're on the Sea of Galilee with a net. So they're fishing all night long. They don't catch one single fish. Right? So now it's morning time, they're all just irritated and frustrated and they're cl- cleansing their net- nets on the shoreline. And along comes this teacher guy with a whole crowd of people and the crowd's kind of pressing him in. So he looks at Peter and says, hey, take me out in your boat a little bit and I'll teach from your boat. Which is a great strategy because sound carries over water, it works out really good. So, so Peter says, "Yes, yeah, sure, sure, fine, fine, cop in. He rows out a, a few hundred yards, Jesus sits down in his boat and teaches this big throng of people And Peter, I don't know what Peter's doing. Peter's sitting there, presumably listening to to (laughs) Jesus teach. And, you know, probably very similar to thing. Like, ah, true, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Listening to Jesus' whole teaching all day long. Finally, Jesus excuses the crowd. And then he looks at Peter and he says, hey, get your buddies. Go out in the deep and throw out your nets. And Peter's like, okay, we didn't catch anything all night long, which is the best time to be fishing Now we're in the full light of day, and you're saying go out in the deep and throw out your net. You're crazy. But you've got this big following of people, and you're this recognized teacher, so okay, we'll do it. So he gets his buddies. They go out into the middle ocean. They throw their net out, and sure sure enough, most of you know the story, they start hauling in all this fish to the point that the boats are starting to sink. There's so much fish. And it's at that moment that Peter has his epiphany. And he looks at the Lord, and he Falls down at the knees of Jesus and he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It was in that moment that Jesus recognized, No, this is not just a teacher. This is someone who I am morally accountable to, right? This is the Lord. This is God in the flesh, and I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. You know, I'll die in your presence because I'm a sinner. And of course, the encouraging thing is. Jesus' response is not one of condemnation, but one of, you know what, Peter? Uh, I'm going to change you from a fisherman to a fisher of men, right? And we know the rest of the story is history. In fact, most was Christian history. Right? So that was Peter's epiphany. All of that just warm up to go into this passage, all right? So John chapter 3, we have another person here who's, kind of having his epiphany, but he's a bit in the dark, both literally and figuratively, so let's look at it. Um, we're looking at John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so just a little point here. This is a religious leader guy. So religion has very little to do with being born again. And religious education, academic knowledge has very little to do do with being born again, okay? Just a little side note. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night, and it's interesting. It's very symbolic that he comes to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. There's the epiphany part. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, a lot of the Pharisees say that to Jesus, and they don't really mean it. You know, they just, it's, just being a, it's just a polite way to say, to start the conversation, and then ask him the question that you're hoping to trap him in be, to, and prove that he's really not the Messiah, right? But I think in this case with Nicodemus, I think here's some real genuine belief here because he's coming to Jesus at, at night. If he was coming to Jesus just to trip him up, he would do it in the full light of day in front of all of his buddies, right? So I see he can't answer the question. But he's coming to Jesus alone, separately, at nighttime, and it's like, okay, there's something really here because nobody can do these signs unless they've come from God. And I just want to figure this out. I want to see what's going on, right? And it's interesting. He doesn't really ask a question. He just makes a statement, but I love the way that Jesus will often answer the, the underlying question, the unspoken question, right? So, so Nicodemus says, you know, you must be from God because you're doing these amazing signs. Jesus responds by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again He cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus' head just explodes. He's like, what the heck does that mean? Born again? How can I be born again to see the kingdom of God? It's interesting. Jesus often will say, truly, truly. And in both the Greek language and even in in, uh, the Hebrew language, oftentimes the, the device for really emphasizing something is just to repeat it. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying, This is absolutely, unquestionably true. There is no way into the kingdom of heaven. There is no path to God except being born again. And we're going to talk about how exactly that happens in a moment. But that is the only way. The only way is to be born again. And what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus chapter 4 says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Question mark. Okay, Nicodemus makes a classic interpretive error. (laughs) And this is actually a good little point for us to talk about how to properly interpret Scripture. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that all Scripture, as Paul says to Timothy, is God-breathed, God-inspired. It is the breath of God. Okay, so the precepts, the truths, the understandings in Scripture are absolutely true. Okay? The way we interpret what's said here is called, uh, technically it's called a historical grammatical way of of interpreting the Scripture, which means when John says Jesus said this or Jesus went here, we interpret that as just what he says, that that is historically accurate. That's what really happened historically, okay? So we believe the history that's being recorded here in the narrative, number one. Number two... We understand that the speaker or the writer and ultimately, of course, the Holy Spirit is using a lot of grammatical devices to communicate the truth of something. So in this case, the way Jesus is trying to communicate this idea that you need what you have to be in order to enter the kingdom is like being birthed. It's like being born the first time. And Nicodemus takes that literally and says, oh, so in order to enter Heaven, I need to be born twice in the flesh. But how is that possible? How, how can me as a full-grown man enter again into my mother's womb and be born again? That, that just doesn't make sense. And, of course, Jesus doesn't mean it literally. He's using a grammatical device called a metaphor to say being, being, be moving into the kingdom, becoming part of the kingdom is like being born for the first time. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. So it's not that we're born again in the flesh; it's that we're born for the first time spiritually. The way Paul, I love the way Paul says that. Paul says we've become a new creation. In fact, I'll just read it real quick. You don't have to go there, but um, he says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come." Right. So to be born again means. Something is now there that wasn't there before, all right? So being born again, it's not about, we're not like this fixer-up project that God has where he's going to take sort of a beat-up, broken-down person and reform them and teach them how to be holy. That's not how it works. He's creating a brand-new person, okay? We still have our flesh, and we're going to talk about that. At the moment we're born again, something new is created. We are created a new. We are a new creation, to put it in Paul's words. So let's continue with uh, chapter three. Nicodemus said, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?" Jesus answered, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." Okay, two really powerful elements there. Water and the Spirit. We need to be born of the water and the Spirit. What does water mean? Water is, is a term, it's an idea that is used throughout Scripture to talk about cleansing. Right? Makes sense. We use water all the time to wash things, to cleanse them. So Jesus is saying, as lest you are cleansed and, and created as a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're born of water and the Spirit. Also interesting, a lot of little parallels here, like when you're about to be born, what happens? There's a bunch of water, right? The water breaks, and there's a bunch of water. A lot of kind of parallel things going on here. But the idea is that you're that you're cleansed and you're created new through the holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues in verse six and says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Notice the clear delineation between the two things that Jesus is making there. It's, it's, he's, he's as clearly as possible. I've got to move a little bit. so I'm just going to move this. Sorry. Um, as clearly as he can possibly say, and it's like, look, you're originally born, but you're born of the flesh. You're flesh. You're human flesh. Then if you're born again, you're born spiritually. This is something else. It's not a reformation of your flesh. It's not a reworking of your flesh. It's not cleaning you up and making you look nice. When you're born again, something new is created. Flesh is of the flesh. Spirit is of the spirit, right? And, in fact, Paul will talk about how the two war against each other. And that's for us who are born again. The second part of what we're going to be talking about is how do we work that out as our flesh wars against our spirit, right? That's an ongoing battle and struggle up until the last day when Jesus returns. But the key point here is to be born again means you are a new creation. It's not a reworking, it's not a renovation of your flesh. You're a new creature, okay? If I hit that hard enough, got it. Are you ready to say, okay, move on, John? <laughs> I think it's super, super clear because oftentimes, it's super, super important because oftentimes we kind of muddy that up and we kind of blend it together and, and there's a sense in which, well, to be Acceptable to God, I somehow need to clean up my flesh. But that's just not what the Bible teaches. Actually, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that we crucify our flesh. We don't clean it up, we kill it. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? That's the life of a Christian. I crucify the, my flesh, and I live by faith in the Son of God. That's how we walk this out in terms of being born again. So that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Really kind of mysterious, interesting sort of text here. So what Jesus is saying is, you know, don't trip on the fact that you have to be made a new creation. I'm telling you, you need to be made a new creation. And it's not up to you ultimately. It's up to the Holy Spirit. Did any of you, when the day you converted, the day you were born again, or the season of time that you identify as, yeah, that's when I converted. That's when I became born again. Did you make an appointment with God and say, hey, God, I'd like to schedule an appointment to discuss the possibility of me being entered into your kingdom? Right? No. None of us did that. We're just minding our own business. And my sister asked me if I wanted to watch a TV show. Peter's just cleaning his nets. We're all just living our lives. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. You could absolutely believe this. In fact, I am right now currently giving you supernatural power to believe that this is the Messiah. And the moment we say yes to that, we're born again. Is that awesome? Anyone excited about that? <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. And we're born again into what? Into an eternal kingdom that lasts forever. And there's no, now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is where Jesus goes next. Actually, Nicodemus is still, he's still in the dark. Literally and figuratively, he's still tripping. Verse 9, he says, how can these things be? (laughs) I don't get it. So he's still not quite there. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So at this point, he still hasn't bought in. He still hasn't received it. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Nicodemus was like, I don't get this, Jesus. I don't quite believe it. It doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus is saying, look, I've been there and done that. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I've been to heaven. I've existed for eternity in heaven. I created heaven, the heavens and the earth, the whole universe. I know what's true, and I'm telling you, Nicodemus, what's true is you got to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Right? That's what Jesus is saying right there. Because, and He's saying, I speak of what I know, and I know because I'm part of the Trinity. <laughs> I'm God in the flesh. Right? Continuing in uh, verse 14, and this is where I think probably for I think. Most of us in here have been born again. Maybe this morning, as you're listening, you're going, you know, I don't know that there has been that moment, that moment of epiphany where I was absolutely convicted that Jesus truly is the God God of the universe. And maybe this morning is the morning that the Holy Spirit has made a divine appointment for you to receive him and for you to say, you know what, something in me is telling me that Jesus really is God in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit, even now, this moment may be prompting you to say, yeah, I think that's true. And yes, I believe in Jesus. And yes, I surrender my life to you. That might be where you are this morning. I think for a lot of us, we've been there and done that. We are born again. We are new creatures, right? And we have this spiritual life that continues to have conflict and War with our dead and dying flesh that that we need to just crucify. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. You want to be my disciple, kill your flesh and follow me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what we do. So this last verse really, I think, applies to most most of us. And this is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time. Verse 14. Actually, now I'm going to go through a lot more verses, a few more verses. Okay, verse 14. So, Nehemiah, Nicodemus still doesn't quite get it, so now Jesus is going to give him another illustration. He already gave him the illustration of birth. Now he's going to give Nicodemus another illustration uh, related to Moses. So, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God, here's the famous for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because not believed in the name of the son of of God. I'm going to just talk about that a little bit. So this additional illustration that Jesus gives Nicodemus, and by the way, this happens a lot in Scripture, okay? Things don't just happen randomly in Scripture. Even in the historical narrative, God has purpose. It's not just, okay, so what he's referencing here is the children of Israel have been saved from Egypt, and now they're wandering around the desert, and there's lots of snakes in the desert, right? And so people are getting bit by snakes and dying from the venom of these snakes, so God tells Moses, look, make a bronze serpent, a sculpture of a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and set the pole up on a hill. And any time anybody gets bit by a snake, all they have to do is, this is significant, all they have to do is look at this this sculpture of the snake and the venom won't kill them. Well, God does that for the sake of the Hebrews, right, so they don't die of venom. But he also does it as a means for setting up a picture of ultimate salvation, which then Jesus just steps right into because Jesus is God and part, part of orchestrating all of this, right? So Jesus picked, steps into this and uses that as, as an illustration. So just as Moses put the serpent up and people could look at it and be saved, I myself am going to be lifted up on a cross and all people have to do is look at it. All they have to do is understand that I've died for their sins. All they have to do is see me, get me, that I'm dying for their sins, and they can be saved from their sins, right? Isn't that amazing that God, thousands of years earlier, would deal with this problem and this very pragmatic problem and this kind of strange way of having this symbol up there, and then he would do that for the purpose of creating a picture of what salvation in Christ looks like. And that's God. That's his all-sovereign providence doing all, create, doing all this. This is mind-boggling. I get all geeked out about it, okay? Just saying. So God so loved the world. You know, Jesus came to you because he loves you. Jesus personally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke into your heart and said, Look, I'm telling you, I am he. Trust me and you can have eternal salvation because he loved you. His motive is love, not condemnation. His motive is love and to, and to tell you, I'm the one to look at when you're bit by the enemy, by that ancient serpent, and his venom is coursing through your veins and about to kill you. You look at me, and I will save you. Amen? That's what Jesus is doing here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Notice how this works both ways. It's a two-way street. If we believe in him, we're saved. If we don't believe in him, we're condemned already because we have to believe in him to be saved, right? John's interesting in the way he records what Jesus says here. Verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Your response to Jesus proves, proves out where you are, right? It's it, in a way it's a means of salvation, but simultaneously it's a test, right? Because if you have faith in Christ, you trust Him, you say yes to Him, you put your faith in Him, you are born again. If you don't do that, you're not born again, and you're condemned. So it both is facilitates your salvation, but it's also a test that reveals those who are not born again, because they hear it and experience it as, as condemnation. Paul says the gospel has a smell of death to those who are perishing, right? When you share the gospel, don't be surprised when people get, don't get irritated and push back and get angry, because to them who have not put their faith in Christ, it is the stench of death. It's bringing to their awareness their own mortality, Right? Verse 24, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. lest his work should be exposed. I know this is gross, but the picture that always comes to mind for me is when, if, if you, I'm not saying we have cockroaches, but if you have cockroaches <laughs> or if you've had a bachelor pad back in the day where there were lots of cockroaches <laughs> and you go out in the kitchen in the middle of the night, flick on the light, what do they all do? They all scurry into the corners and in the crevices, right? But that isn't how we respond to the light. If we're guilty, if we're filled with shame, if we've not been born again, if our sins have not been forgiven, we run and hide. And an element of that is with Nicodemus because he's coming to Jesus at nighttime because he doesn't want to be exposed. He doesn't want to lose face with his buddies, right? He's so coming to him as nighttime because he's not quite there yet. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this is the last verse we're going to look at. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And there's this really important contrast here that I really don't want you to miss, believer. Those of you who are born again, those of you who have been, reg- not re- it's not even regeneration, it's first generation. It's, the f- it's new creation. Those of you who are a new creation of Christ Jesus I think many of us struggle with, okay, if I'm this new creation, I'm empowered through the Holy Spirit, how come I'm struggling so much in my life? How come I still have times of doubt? How come I continue to sin? How come I continue to be faithless? How come I continue to not invest myself in God's program, you know, invest myself in the church? How come there's so many, the list goes on and on and on, right? We all have our list. How is that? And, And how do we deal with that? And how can we shift in that? And there's a huge clue right here that I really want to spend some time on. Notice that Jesus says, well, going back to verse 20, he says, for everyone who does wicked things. So in the first case, he's talking about people who are not born again, they do wicked things, okay? In the second case, for those who are born again, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. Notice that he doesn't say they do wicked things, and those who do righteous things come to the truth. Or those who are holy come to the truth. Or those who are perfect and, and do everything correctly come to the truth. He doesn't say that. He said, those uh, but whoever does does what is true, right? Okay, we'll I'm get into that significance in a minute. Just hold on to that for a second. Comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here's the thing as a believer. The way you walk in the light of God's kingdom is you walk truthfully. You walk in the truth, okay? That truth includes everything that's true about God, and it includes everything that's true about his will and purposes in your life, and it also includes everything that's true about you. And that last point is, I think, where we really mess up and we miss it because we have the sense of, well, I'm a believer now. I'm born again. I'm supposed to be a good person but I'm not, I have sin in my life, so I just need to kind of tuck that away over here and hope nobody notices, right? But that's called deceit and walking in darkness. What God is calling us to do is to bring that junk out onto the table and walk in the light of his truth, okay? It's interesting, because John records Jesus saying this, and then John says it, very directly in one of his epistles. And that's where I want to go next. It's uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to the ideas here in terms of darkness and light and the, and the key pivotal idea of truth, okay? Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no sin in God. God is pure Perfect light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, catch this: if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, is John saying that if we say we believe in him and that we walk in his light, but we but we sin and and are unholy, then we're liars? Is that what he's saying? Read the next verse. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. Catch this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right. If the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin, that means we must have sin. right. So to walk in the light doesn't mean that we are sinless. It just means that we walk in truthfulness about that sin. Make sense? Okay. And and, and if you have any doubt about what I just said, continue to read verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, that's walking in the dark. If you say, I have, I'm sinless, I'm perfect, I've arrived, now you're walking in the dark because you're lying, because you have sin. Verse 9, and here's the solution. Okay? Here's the core point. If we, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So this is what John's saying. Yes, you're born again. You have this new spiritual life. You also have this old flesh that is filled with sin. Both those two things are true. To walk in the light means you walk You walk in the truth. You acknowledge the truth that, yes, I have sinned. Lord, I confess to you I was looking at that person with lustful intent, right? That's walking in the light. If you go, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't be looking at that person with lustful intent, which that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I support that. Um, but then just kind of, well, God's just going to deal with that somewhere, and I'm just going to hide it away and pretend like it didn't happen. Now you're walking in the dark, all right? That's not how the new creation works. That's not how you operate in your new spirit. The way you operate in the new spirit is the moment you see sin, the moment you're aware of the sinfulness of your flesh, you just agree with God that it's sin. You just agree with God, this is sin, and I'm a sinner, and my heart is absolutely wicked. I just confess that to you, God. The moment you do that, this incredible miracle happens. It's the same miracle that happened when you were made a new creation. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You must be born again by water and the Spirit, right? Paul said, just as you first receive him, so now walk. The same faith you exercise through the Holy Spirit to be born again is the same faith you walk in to continue to be cleansed. And the, the step of faith is confession. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it. You know what, God? I know I tend to use food to kind of comfort myself because I'm freaked out and anxious. Instead of trusting you, I just confess that to you right now. Pray that you would cleanse that sin from me. Pray that you would crush and kill that part of my flesh. Actually, I pray that you just crush all my flesh, right? And give me new life in your spirit. Yeah, but John, I've, I, I've confessed it like 200 million thousand times. Well, it's still there, so it's time to confess it again, right? You don't give up confessing. It's not this one-time thing. To walk, ongoing. It's an ongoing process. We're walking it out. and We walk it out by confessing to Jesus, you know what? What you're saying about me, about my flesh, about my sin is true, and I agree with you, and I admit it. Forgive me for it. And in that moment, he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. That's how we walk out being this new creation in Christ. We don't do it by trying to act like a Christian. Act like a Christian. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. (laughs) But we don't do it by trying to, you know, dress right and say the right things and pretend like we're okay and pretend like we don't have lust or that we don't struggle with the lust of love of money or we don't struggle with you know, indifference, or we don't struggle with whatever. I mean, you know what your list is. I don't need to tell you what your list is. But we walk the life of faith. We walk out being this new creation by just admitting it, just agreeing to God that, yes, it's sinful and it's wrong. All right, I'm not going to let us off quite that easy because there's one more step that I think is really important and biblical and James really challenges us with, and that's in James chapter 5. Verse 13, I'm going to read through a few verses here. James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. interesting. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All right? So there's two parts to this. One is right away, confess to the Lord. Lord, I sinned against you. Remember David? David is like the poster child of like really sinning to the max. He sees Bathsheba. Bathsheba, thank you. (laughs) I'm getting really dry. He sees Bathsheba and... (laughs) And lusts after her, calls her into his, you know, lair, has sex with her, then has her husband killed so nobody finds out. That's called walking in the dark, right? That is walking in the dark. Finally, Nathan comes along and says, you know, David, what about this guy who's got a sheep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you, David. And David is cut to the quick, and it's that, his epiphany moment where he goes, ah, you're right, it's me, I'm, I'm a sinner. And it's interesting what Jesus, David says. He, says. he says, God, I have sinned against you. Now, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he send, definitely sin against Hariah? He had him killed, right? He did. But as we sinned against each other, we are ultimately sin, sinning against God. So number one, you need to confess to the Lord, Lord, I've sinned against you. By cheating this person out of whatever not paying what I was supposed to on my taxes, you know. i have sinned against the government, but primarily I'm sinned against you because I'm not putting my faith and hope in you. Instead, I'm putting my faith and hope in my tax accountant who's crooked, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Just saying. So, So, number one, confess to the Lord. Number two, what James is saying is, you know what? you really want to be healed, if you really want to walk in the light, you really want to experience the full lightness of not bearing the shame and the guilt and the weight of your sinful flesh, grab a brother or sister, God forbid, maybe even grab an elder and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area. You know, pray for me. I just need to confess. I'm, you know, I, I'm still looking at pornography, you know, I'm still Cheating in this way with my money, you know, I'm still acting indifferently toward this person. I'm still kind of being a jerk to this person because, frankly, they're the worst jerk I've ever met, right? You know, I'm struggling with my anger and my frustration. I've got eating issues, and you know, we one thing our culture has done is we've done a good job of identifying all of our issues. Right? We all know what all these issues are. What's the solution? And it is so simple and yet so profound. Confession. Just confess it to the Lord. Grab a brother and sister. Confess it with them. Ask them to pray for you. That's why, you know, we're always encouraging all of us to be in a study. Mike Kinkley's Mike with the kids right now, but he challenged me this morning. Hey, John, you coming to men's study Saturday? I'm like, well, Mike, I'm thinking about starting another study. I'll think about it. I don't know. I don't. But, but you know what? We need that. We need to be in that fellowship. Because we need to be confessing. We need to say to our, our Wednesday night gals, or we need to say to our Saturday morning guys, or we need to say with, when we get together with other believers, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I'm still struggling with this. Hey, I've been struggling with this for 10 years. I'm not getting any better. Please pray for me and work with me and be with me in this. And you know what? Jesus died on the cross to cleanse you of that sin. You need to receive that by faith. Quit doubting that. I know some of you, particularly, you've had patterns of sin in your life, and it's like, when am I ever going to be free of this? The moment you confess it, you need to believe that Jesus has forgiven that, that he has cleansed you completely. Does that mean you're not going to sin again? Of course not. You're going to sin again until he returns, and he gives you a new body, and this one is finally both literally and figuratively killed, dead. But in the meantime, it's about confession. I just can't emphasize that enough, even though I've emphasized it now for the past 20 minutes. But it really is. It comes down to that. And you know what? If you don't have some significant connection with another brother, or sister, or a group of people, you're missing out on being able to really walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen? All right, so I'm really going to really in this morning. I'm, I'm really going to put you all to the test this morning. So, you know, usually I wrap up by praying and then I'll just go back to my seat and worship from my seat. So this morning, I'm just going to stay down here and I'm going to worship right here. And I'm not going to be looking at you. I'm going to be worshiping God. And I want to challenge you. If you don't believe there's been a moment in your life where you had that epiphany, where you understood on some level Jesus really is God in the flesh, and I put my hope and faith in that, that Hasn't been part of your life yet. Today is today. Today is the day of your salvation. I want to challenge you to just say yes to him. Just say yes to him. There's no magic. There's no particular prayer incantation that we do that makes you a Christian. You just say yes to him. And you can do that right from your seat. You can be doing that even right now as I'm talking. You can be saying, Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. And you will be born again. You'll be a new creation, a new heavenly creation. That's awesome. If that's you... Go for it. Be that. And if you want to express that in a more dramatic way, come up during a worship song and stand with all of us who I think are going to come up and worship the Lord. If you're a born-again believer, you know, if you've been uh, washed by the blood of the Lamb, you're a new creation in Christ, and there's sin in your life, which means according to John, I'm talking to everybody here, I want to challenge you to come up here with me. Which, and what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be confessing sin. I'm not going to be saying it out loud for you all. mute my microphone or whatever. Okay? You don't need to hear that. But I'm going to be confessing my sins like I do every day in this worship time. And I want to challenge each of you to come up and just let's come together and worship the Lord and be in a place of just confession and opening the door to a whole new place in our spiritual walk or spiritual life if you manage to make through both those hurdles without coming up here and you find yourself you're the only one sitting in a chair while we're all all up here worshiping it's going to feel really uncomfortable and i my flesh wants to apologize for that but my spirit says you know what that's nothing compared to the uncomfortableness of the day that jesus returns amen the day he returns and you're not born again I can tell you, it's not going to be comfortable. The day he returns, and you've been living a life of just blowing him off and not confessing the truth about your life and your sinfulness, that is not going to be a comfortable day. So I'm willing to risk a little bit of uncomfortableness right now, if you're left sitting in your seat, for the possibility of avoiding some real uncomfortableness on the day of his return. So I hope you don't feel controlled or manipulated, but I hope that you'll come up as an honest expression of, hey, I'm born again, and or both, I'm born again, and I'm up here to confess my sins once again to the Lord, and continue this walk in the light. Amen? So let's pray. So Lord, I just praise you. I praise you that you love us enough, that you would become your own creation. I can't even wrap my head around that, Lord. I think of things I've made And that then I would choose to become that thing I made is just mind-boggling. But that's how much you love us. Not only to become a human man, but then to suffer rejection and spite and abuse and be killed on the cross in order to atone for our sin, the sin of our flesh, God. How little of a thing for us to just say yes to you. For us to say, yeah, I agree, you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel. That we would be made a new creation through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, that we would continue to come forward in our lives to confess the truth and reality that we still carry around with us this dead, dying carcass of sin. And we just need to be honest about it. We just need to agree with you. Yes, it's sin. Wash me again. Cleanse me again with your holy water, the power of your Holy Spirit, that I might walk in the light of your kingdom, both now and forevermore. In your Son's name.